We will be continuing in the book of Matthew. And for that, I'd like for you guys to turn your Bibles to Matthew 17. And we will be reading into chapter 18 all the way till verse 4. Um, as you know, the, the Bible wasn't written with the chapters and verses there to separate us. So from that, we'll be reading from verse 24 until verse 4 of chapter 18. And says, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the true drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray for this morning's word. Jesus, this is your word. God, it isn't what men made up. Lord, it isn't our best ideas or dreams or fascinations, God. These words speak life into our very own hearts. And so I pray that this morning, God, that your spirit would move in our hearts and in our minds. God, that we would hear you speaking into our hearts. That we'd be moved by your words, God. That we would see the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. That we would see the freedom that is found in following you, God. And relying and being completely dependent on you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would take every aspect of myself out of this, God. And that it would be your words that are speaking and teaching to us this morning. We thank you for your word, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in his famous letter to Jean-Baptiste Leroy, it is said that Benjamin Franklin stated this, In this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Now, as believers, we definitely know that there are more certainties than death and taxes. But when it comes to paying a price or paying taxes, especially for us as Californians, we know this all too well, We can relate with such a statement. We know about paying a price. And if you've ever been in debt or owed a hefty amount to someone, you know how huge of a weight that this can be to carry around with you. You feel as if you've been or become a slave to this debt. You're hoping for the redemption, for the unpaid or for the past due. Now, consequently... If you've ever had a debt or tax paid or forgiven by someone, you've also experienced the freedom for such a payment. 
a bondage freed, and a new sense of life. Now, the undeserved grace and generosity leaves many of us with few words. There's nothing we did to earn such favor, and really all that we can say is a simple, well, thank you. Now, in the text that we find in front of us this morning, it doesn't amount to such a heavy debtor weight. It wasn't much. It was really about two days' work of labor. But the weight of what it meant and signified for the people of Israel was definitely in place. A price that even through their best efforts, they would never be able to pay on their own accord. It's the the two drachma tax, after all. Now, this came from an Old Testament law and standard. It was to be paid by every Jewish adult male over the age of 20. Like I said before, it was about two days' worth of work. The funds from the tax that were collected were ultimately used for the upkeep of the temple. But I want us to be able to grab a better grasp of what I'm speaking about this morning and understand where this tax came from. So I want us to look back quickly in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus in chapter 30. And it says this, Then the Lord, and this is, sorry, verses 11 through 16, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. Now each person who is counted must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. This payment is a half shekel based on the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 garas. Now, all who have reached their 20th birthday must give this sacred offering to the Lord. When this offering is given to the Lord to purify your lives, making you right with him, the rich must not give more than the specified amount, and the poor must not give less. Receive this ransom money from the Israelites and use it for the care of the tabernacle. It will bring the Israelites to the Lord's attention And it will purify your lives. As we look at the original Old Testament implications here, there is so much more than a tax. It was so much more than the upkeep of the temple or, as we read here, of the tabernacle. See, for the people of Israel, this tax was tied into a ransom to the Lord. It was an atonement for their very own lives. To the Jewish people then, There was a high sense of necessity to pay this tax because of what it meant for their atonement. Now, as we fast forward to our current passage this morning, and in complete biblical irony, the tax collector for the two drachma tax approaches Peter and asks if Jesus pays this same tax. And of course, we all know Peter and In complete Peter fashion, he answers with a quick yes. In fact, in the yes that he responds with here, it it says that it's a strong affirmation yes. Peter was confident about this. Yes, of course the Messiah pays this tax. For Peter, as a Jewish man, this was a given. This is what we do. This is how we atone for our lives. As we read through this passage, we find that Jesus does plan to pay for the tax. And he even makes a way to pay the tax for himself 
And he also plans to pay it for Peter. Now, however, Jesus wants to pose a question to Peter. Because, because he wants to use this as a teaching opportunity for him. So Jesus, of course, through spiritual discernment and his wisdom of what just occurred between Peter and this tax collector, takes a hold of the situation. He's going to speak something to Peter that has to do with so much more than tax law. So as we look at the second part of verse 25, he's addressing Peter and he asks Peter a question. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? See, this is one of those Jesus moments when he asks a question and he obviously already knows the answer. And he has so much more to mean by asking Peter this question. And as Jesus asks this question, he delineates between two different positions. He talks about the sons and he talks about the strangers. See, he is showing Peter and as well as us this morning that there are two different standings in a kingdom. There are those who are the sons and there are those who are the strangers. So Peter... Obviously, the way that we would as well, acknowledging what many of us know to be true of kingdoms, responds to Jesus' question, well, obviously, it's the strangers who get charged the tax. See, kings and rulers don't tax their own sons and daughters. They tax the people. They tax the people, the foreigners, the strangers. The sons and daughters have a different standing before the king, before their father than the strangers do. So Jesus, in turn, responds to him. It's almost like he asked Jesus, so he asked Peter this question, and he was kind of baiting them, almost expecting what Peter would answer. And Jesus responds in turn, and he says, then the sons are exempt. The word exempt here actually means free or, or freeborn. So other translations would have put it this way. Well, then the sons are free. We actually find further evidence of this in the Gospel of John, of what Jesus is actually meaning here. When speaking to a group of Jews who had intimated in believing in him, they're going back and forth between questions with one another. And in John chapter 8, we, we pick up there where Jesus is really telling them who he is and what he's about and how they are to believe in him. He said, they ask him this question, how is it that you say you will become free? Well, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin well, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. So if the Son sets you free, well, then you will be free indeed. As I was speaking about earlier, many of us have been caught under the weight of, of debt or a tax. I specifically have had the privilege and, and pleasure of living under different homes. I had a great mom and dad. I still have a, a great mom and dad. And they would do anything for me. In fact, you know, if I decided to come back home today, I think they would still do anything for me. But I lived under a group of people who would love me, who would care for me. They would do anything. They would pay 
for my freedom, really. <laughs> when I was in debt and in tax, they would, they would lay down the money to see me out of that bondage. See, as a son in that house, my parents loved me. Yes, they showed tough love, but at the same time, they would want to see me out of, under from that weight, from that debt that I was feeling. In fact, as a son in my father's house, I truly felt freedom. I felt hope, no longer being stuck under those debts. Well, the price had been paid by my dad. As we read here, Jesus is giving Peter a precursor of how things will work in God's kingdom. In light of the price Jesus is going to pay, the sons will be free. We are free. See, in God's kingdom, those who are his sons and daughters, the price has been paid. Jesus paid it all. Now, as we continue reading our scripture this morning, we find that there are those who still stumble over this payment, the payment for their atonement, their justification. They are still trying to pay for it, trying to do it in and of themselves, their own strength, their own funds. And so Jesus, continuing to address Peter in verse 27, he says, However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. In the Old Testament, and we find in the Old Covenant, the price for the tax, for this ransom, it had to be paid for and provided by the people. This was the way for people to be ransomed. This was the way for them to really find atonement. It says in Exodus that they, so that they would not experience plague. This is how they remained in good standing with God. So, Jesus knowing this, he says, so that we do not offend them. Another way, again, of saying this in a different translation, it would put it this way. So that we do not cause them to stumble. See, this was the way of freedom for these people. They couldn't see that the kingdom was right at hand. That there was a better way for them. For them, the only way was by still paying a tax. By doing something about it themselves. In the New Testament and in this morning's passage, we find that Jesus is the one that is providing the price that is to be paid. He says to Peter, you will find a shekel, take that and give it to them for you and for me. Jesus is the one that is providing the price that is to be paid. Jesus is paying the price for both of them. If there was going to be anybody who would have been free or exempt from this tax, it would have been Jesus. He is, after all, the Son of God. He is the king over the kingdom. Why would you tax the king? Why would the king have to pay the price? But as we see through Scripture, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, 
but he came to fulfill the law. Actually, Paul, in the book of Galatians, gives us a wonderful explanation of this in chapter 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. And I want to stop there real quick. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God provides the way. God provides the way at just the exact time. The fullness of time. God knew exactly when Jesus needed to come. And it says that he was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus does not conveniently forget or dismiss the law because he's the son of God. He easily could have. He's God. He's the king. But instead, he submitted himself to the law. And in turn, he redeems all of us who were under the law. He completed the law perfectly. And furthermore, and if that wasn't enough good news for us, he has now adopted us as sons and daughters to be children of the king. We are now heirs to the kingdom because Jesus paid it all. We are now, that's what our standing is, children of God. Now, in our text here in Matthew, Matthew doesn't continue the story by, by telling us exactly how Peter may have walked to the dock or onto his ship and put out his fishing pole and caught the fish and been stared at people as he's looking into the fish to try to find a coin. He doesn't say that. He doesn't relay any of that information to us. But instead, we're led on right into the next chapter, into chapter 18. We're given a greater meaning to the miracle That has just happened. See, and for us, we'll see here that not only has Jesus paid the price, but it wasn't by anything that Peter could do. It wasn't by anything that we can do or try to do. In fact, we are to be completely dependent on what he does and has done. And so I'm going to go over the first four verses of Matthew 18 again, just so we can get a better understanding. And it says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, the disciples walking alongside Jesus are beginning to see and understand that there is more to what Jesus has been talking to them about this whole time. There's more to what he's alluding to about the kingdom. There's something greater that is going on. See, Jesus has been talking about, as we've seen in the book of Matthew, that the kingdom of heaven has come. 
that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, of course, as any of us would understand, when someone gives us a high position or someone puts us in a spot that brings us benefit, well, well, what do I get out of it? What's my official title exactly? See, the, now that they know that the kingdom is here, and now that the kingdom is approaching, what do they need? Well, they want to know what they could do to be the greatest, to earn the highest spot. See, Jesus, by drawing a child to himself, gives them a stern example of what it actually entails to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I love that Jesus uses examples that would be far-fetched to us. A fish, a child. This is the greatest. See, through this child, he gives them a stern example of what it actually entails to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't mince words. He says to them, truly. And that word there, truly, it literally means the same thing as amen. When any of us ever say, well, amen, or amen to that, or when we end up praying, we're like, well, amen. It means truly. It means that's how it is. Therefore, by Jesus saying this to the disciples, he is telling them this is how it is. He is putting full trust and confidence in what he is speaking to them. And this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, unless you are converted... In other words, unless you repent and turn around, and unless you become like a child, a child is what? Dependent and humble of their parents. Unless you're converted, and unless you become like a child, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. With hard words to hear, right? But he also says the opposite to them. And the opposite is true as well. That those who do convert, who do humble themselves like children, become dependent, they will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is not leaving them trying to guess what he's talking about. He has already been saying this to them for a long time. They've been walking with him. He's been alluding to this. He's been showing them how we are to walk. He has been making himself the perfect example of what this looks like. In the three Gospels in which we see the greatest of the kingdom, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus, before explaining who the greatest is, before they asked this question, each time before that, Jesus was already showing them what it entails to be a part of the kingdom. What does it look like to humble yourself? What does it look like to be dependent? And I want to read from those three Gospels with you guys really quickly. In Matthew 17, 22, 23, before we read Matthew 18, it says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. In Mark Chapter 9, verse 31, it says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And in my favorite of all the three Gospels, in Luke chapter 9, verse 44, he's a lot more straight up than Luke. He says, Let these words sink into your ears. (laughs) 
the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The gospel writers heard loud and clear what Jesus was trying to show them. What does it look like to humble yourself? What does it look like to become dependent? See, the way of the kingdom is ultimately the way of Christ. And he is the only way to the kingdom. See, he showed perfectly on the cross and through his life what it means to be humble, to submit my, myself, oneself, even to the point of death. He would be, and he is, the greatest in the kingdom. Because Jesus is ultimately the one who paid it all. In Philippians, Paul once again gives us a closer look and a better understanding of what exactly Jesus did through his life and by dying on the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The path for Jesus and the kingdom wasn't overtaking Rome or ruling over the religious leaders, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. To be the greatest, Jesus humbled himself to the point of putting on our flesh and dying on the cross. If Jesus doesn't humble himself, If he doesn't trust and become dependent and obedient to the will of the Father, there is no cross. There is no price being paid. See, we are to come humbly and dependent. The way true children would do. The way children of a king would rely on him. In him, we will find our every need. In him, we will find our complete supply. In our text, we find that Jesus provides and he supplies. And specifically this morning, we find that he does that through a fish. (laughs) See, an amazing and miraculous way of Jesus to provide the funds for a tax. But why this way, right? I mean, Peter could have gone and worked. Jesus, who owns all, who has made things appear food, could have provided the money easily, any way that he wanted to. See, this way, it required Peter to trust and become dependent on Jesus. Only the Lord would have been able to provide the tax this way. It is only done by him. He's the only one who could absolutely pay it all. Peter was not called to work for his tax payment. 
In fact, as a fisherman, he could have gone and caught fish, and done a couple days' work, and paid his tax. Instead, the, co- the payment comes in a way of only which Jesus can provide. Jesus is a provider for the price of atonement. He is the one who paid it all. See, according to the old way, as we read in the book of Exodus, we would have assumed that it was a person who was the best at keeping the rules or, or paying the temple taxes and similar statutes, right? That person, those people, would be the greatest in the kingdom. But through using a fish as provision and using a child as an example, Jesus is showing us that our redemption, the way to God, has been provided only by and through Christ. This can't be earned. There's no debt or weight that we could pay on our own. We can't walk a good and right Christian life or try to find a way to the Father any other way other than through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus says very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We will never be able to pay the ultimate price for our sins on our own. Even if we wanted to revert back to trying in our best efforts to turn, atone for all our mistakes, all our insufficiencies, it could never be done. I mean, it's who we make ourselves out to be, right? We try to achieve, we try to earn as much as we can. I've got this payment. I can do this. I could look this way in front of Jesus. I could look this way in front of my church. But what God is reminding us, that's not who the greatest is. The greatest is the one who humbles himself. The greatest is the one who allows Jesus to make that payment. As Christians, we do exactly what Christian means. We follow Christ. See, we must walk in the freedom Christ completed. He completed all the work that has been set before us to do. He did so at the fullness of time for the redemption and atonement of our lives. Jesus is the one who paid it all. See, he paid for our sins, our guilt, and our shame. He completed perfectly in advance the work that we do in our families, in our jobs, in our marriages, and in our relationships so that we can trust him to lead in every aspect and area of our lives. It could be really easy for us, for myself, to grab a hold of my marriage and say, I could do this. I could achieve it. I could love her correctly and appropriately. And Jesus is trying to remind us, no, you, you, you can't do that. You don't do that, actually. Jesus is the one that is leading the way. And he already paid for that. He died on the cross for that. As children, children of the king, we remain completely dependent on the king himself. Many of us, unfortunately, have forgotten our identity as the children of the king. As children, 
as we're reminded, we don't pay the tax. Remember, this tax has already been paid for us, for our atonement, for our ransom. But instead, we depend on Jesus to lead and to sanctify us. So we can leave this place today in freedom. Freedom to do the will of God. But not to abuse our freedom. And to go back and making our own sinful choices. Well, we don't say that I trust Jesus to forgive my sins, to do the work, and then now I will live the rest of my week and the rest of my life the way I see fit. Jesus freed us. Jesus paid that debt. He ransomed us so that we could go out and live and incarnate him in this world. (laughs) To live that out. That others may see that we are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. We don't have to return back to that shame, to that guilt, or to those chains, that bondage of working really hard to try to see if I can gain God's favor. We are not called to abuse our freedom, but to walk in it. In our freedom, we humble ourselves, and we remain obedient to the one who leads and supplies. Galatians 5 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Walking in this life under this freedom released from all debt may not be easy, but we are called to follow the path that has been set before us. See, Jesus didn't come to be served, to serve. In our freedom, Christ is calling us to follow his example. He paid the debt not so that we could remain there trying to achieve really hard what we could do. He paid the debt so that we'd walk in that freedom, that we'd go and be served and serve others. That we love others. That we would tell others about the one who paid our debt. That we would show others who truly is the greatest in the kingdom. And that's Jesus Christ. May we experience the freedom of walking as people who have been forgiven a huge debt. May we walk as people who remain completely dependent on him. May we walk as children who have been adopted into the kingdom. May we walk as people who thank Jesus for paying it all. I want us to ask ourselves something this morning. Am I still trying to atone for myself and pay back the price for my own sins? Am I still trying to pay for my guilt and my shame? Or am I walking in the freedom that Jesus already paid that debt? Or are you one of those who are trying to take matters into your own hands? (laughs) And not remain dependent on the one who already did the work and paid it all. That's who the greatest in the kingdom is. Those who trust God. Who make themselves as a child. (laughs) I'm dependent on my daddy, my Abba, my father. Let us ask ourselves these questions this morning. Let us walk in freedom. Let us walk dependent on Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Thank you, Jesus, that you did pay it all. Thank you that I didn't have to try to pay that on my own accord. Thank you, Lord, that we could walk in the freedom of being completely submitted and dependent on you. Jesus, I pray that your word would continue to go forth in our hearts. That we would respond to the king who paid for our debts. Who ransomed us from death. Jesus, thank you for paying it all. Thank you that we could humble ourselves to trust in you completely. I pray that this morning you would move your words in our hearts. That we would respond to you, God. God, that we would come to you in repentance. God, that we would say, Jesus, I submit to you. I give my life to you. I want to follow you and walk in that freedom. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen.